Catherine is going to speak to us in a minute, but she's asked me to read the passage that she's going to be preaching. Oops. Whoops. <laughs> I'll try and be more careful. Um, to read the passage, we're reading from John chapter 15, verses 18 onwards through to chapter 16, verse 4. John 15, 18 to 16, 4. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Sorry, this is Jesus speaking. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however... They have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Thanks, Merrick. Good morning. What a cheerful passage we have this morning. Thanks, Theo, for giving me this one. Uh, I don't know if anyone has ever come across the Radio 1 show with uh, Greg James called Unpopular Opinions. Well, we are going to play that this morning. We're going to start with that. Um, if you haven't come across it, it is a show where um, Greg James invites on a celebrity and then the celebrity shares an opinion or, or two that might not be very popular. And members of the public also phone in to share their own unpopular opinions. I've no idea why they do it, but um, we're going to start by playing it today with my unpopular opinions. So um, judge me as you will. But here we go. I've even got the theme tune for us. Come and give us your unpopular opinions. Something up till now that you've been scared to say. I don't like jam. So when I eat scones, yes, scone, not scone, I eat it just with clotted cream. 
Yeah, judge me. Thank you. I'm not the only one. Yeah, I don't, I genuinely don't like jam. So I just have the clotted cream on my scone. And I think it's quite nice, actually. I really enjoy it. Um, let's, have a, let's have another one. Come and give us your unpopular opinion. Something up till now that you've been scared to say. Um, I think football... <sighs> is a dreadfully boring and unimaginative game. I said it, and I know I'm not alone, but I said it here. Okay, one more, last round. Last <sighs> Come and give us your unpopular opinion, something up till now that you've been scared to say. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one gets to the Father except through him. Oh, I didn't quite get the judgmental response with that one, did I? Now, speaking to this audience, it's probable that we all agree with that final opinion, that final statement. However, it is not an opinion that is well-received by the world we live in. And this is a really challenging passage today, and we're going to unpack it together. And it might seem a little bit theoretical to us in the West, but if we lived in China or in Afghanistan, this passage would be a daily reality to us in every single day. Now, before we dive into the passage, it's just helpful to define what we mean by the word hate that comes up fairly frequently in this passage. Now, hate isn't a very English word. It's not one that we really like. Now, the kind of things that we might say is, I hate olives, which I do. I hate the rain. But what I really mean is that I dislike these things. But Jesus isn't using the word dislike here. He is very intentionally using the word hate. The Greek word here, miseo, means to detest, denounce, or abhor. Jesus is warning us quite literally that following him comes with a cost. So let's dive in. Why might the world hate us. Well, in verse 19 in the passage, the pa it says to us, we will be hated because we have been chosen by God. Now, when it comes to spiritual beliefs, the world operates in the opposite way to magnetism. Here, opposites repel one another. Jesus has been rejected by the world. They saw the Prince of Peace as a threat, the Lord of Love as someone to hate. In verses 21 to 25, Jesus told his disciples that the world's hatred for him comes from their rejection of his message, delivered both through his words and miracles. And we, as his disciples, are suspect in the eyes of the world too. 
Now, this passage comes immediately after the passage on the true vine, which Graham spoke about last week. The theme of being chosen by God runs through this preceding passage too. For example, this is still John 15, but verse 16, it says, You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. We are chosen by God to be set apart for him, to belong to him and not the world. And the world denounces us for it. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke the Beatitudes. And one of those included, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And that's from Luke 22, verse 6. Now, I did some research into psychologically what would cause a person to hate another person. The European Journal of Social Psychology says that hatred is triggered by moral concern or the perception of moral transgressions. In other words, for a human to hate another person or group, they judge that they are morally evil and a threat. Jesus is warning us that at, as his followers, people will think we are morally corrupt. And isn't this reflective of the society that we live in? A hundred years ago in the West, Christians held the moral high ground in society. The acceptable standards on all sorts of issues were influenced by the church. Drinking, drugs, promiscuity, sexuality, gender identity. Society saw the church's view as being in the right. But over the last 70 years in particular, we've seen a complete change in perception. Somehow, the views of the church are now seen as being morally restrictive, corrupt even. John Mark Comer has done a lot of thinking into this topic, and in his book, Loveology, uh, he is, it's incredibly helpful in putting this culture into words. He explains, and I've put a couple of these lines up, he explains that true freedom in the eyes of the world is being able to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want. Dreg, sucks, blah, blah. sex, drugs, rock and roll, and all that. In fact, John Mark explains that our society has gone so far since the 60s that freedom and fulfillment are seen as being found in self-expression. Do whatever I want. And therefore, anything that curbs your desires is oppressive. He says, to deny your feelings, your desires, your urges is seen as denying who you are. 
The world demands free will and freedom of expression, but it is unwilling to accept responsibility when things go wrong. The problem with this is that freedom to fulfill our desires becomes an addiction. An addiction isn't anything like freedom. It's like an enslavement. As Christians, we live in truth. And the truth sets us free. The truth is that we are made in God's image. To live in relationship with him. A truth that the world misses is that our wants and desires are different from our needs. We don't have to follow our desires to live a fully human life. We just have to follow Jesus and in him we find all that we need. But the world doesn't like this idea very much. The world sees that following Jesus means following a set of imposed rules and and restrictions that limit our freedom. The world sees that Christians and therefore God himself is judgmental of people in the world who are just following their desires. But friends, I hope we know that the boundaries that God sets out for us are made by the one who designed us, who knit us together. And he knows how best we work and he knows what damages us. The world wouldn't question a parent of a toddler putting up stair gates or using a five-point harness in a car seat. Those boundaries are made for the protection of the toddler. And yet the world misses that there is no difference between these safety restrictions for the toddler and the boundaries put in place by our loving Heavenly Father. Returning to our passage in verse 21, it says, They will hate and persecute you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. The world has misunderstood the heart behind the law. The law that was given to show how to live in right relationship with God and with others is now seen as an oppressive, morally questionable rule book which threatens our personal freedom. Friends, that is why Jesus warns us that we'll be hated. Because the world has misunderstood him and what he came for. And because we are chosen by him, it now misunderstands us. Now, I have found it hugely challenging uh, writing this talk because honestly, and call me dull, um, I generally try to avoid people hating me. Um, And also, to be completely honest with you, I'm not sure there is anyone who hates me which isn't actually something to brag about if we're taking this passage seriously. Now, let me clarify some really important things here. 
it is really easy to be hated for hating. If I went and stood on above Bar Street with some huge placards telling people their sins and that they're going to hell, I reckon I could rack up the number of people that hate me pretty fast. This license, that, sorry, this passage does not give us license to be rude and judgmental and say, I'm just fulfilling what Jesus prophesied. Jesus is not acquitting us of having to speak with love. In Luke 6 verse 27, Jesus specifically said, do good to those who hate you. And in Matthew 5 verse 44, love your enemies. Jesus always spoke truth with love. He was hated for acting out of love. The religious leaders of the time judged him for giving his compassion and time to people they deemed were wrong. They despised him when he said he could forgive sins. They were incredulous of the miracles he performed and they hated it when, the, when he quoted the law at them and replied to their questions in a way that undermined them. Jesus carried out all those actions with love for his creation and the Father's desire to live in relationship with his people. When we are being kind and loving to those that we meet, it can feel unjust when people dislike or reject us because of the reason behind our love. But that is exactly what Jesus is saying is going to happen. So here's the big challenge in this passage. When is the last time we were hated for love? There are times when I am part of a conversation about beliefs or lifestyles and I might tone down what I say to make it sound a little bit more relatable or normal. And I justify it because people wouldn't understand me or they might think I'm weird or I don't want to alienate them or cause them to feel judged. I don't want to lose a good growing friendship by being too Christian. Even last week, I was having a conversation with a friend about a daunting situation that has been significantly easier than I thought it would be. And her response was, wow, someone's really looking out for you. What an opportunity. But it was one that I didn't fully take. There is an inherent wiring in me and I wonder if anyone else in the room can relate, that wants to make sure everyone likes and accepts me. Because that's where I get my worldly sense of value from. So for me, the bigger challenge here is whether I can learn to find my value in who God says I am, rather in what the world thinks of me. Because if I can learn that, then whether people hate me or not matters less. I know that God says I'm enough. 
that I'm his, that I'm loved, that I am wonderfully made. And yet I still find it incredibly hard to find my identity in that and that alone and not an ounce in what the people of the world might say. Let's zoom out a minute and look at where we find this passage in the Bible. We find it in the book of John. Now, John was one of Jesus' disciples, and he was a fisherman before Jesus called him to follow. And his nickname, along with his brother, was a son of thunder. That's not a positive nickname, if you were wondering. However, in the book of John, he consistently refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, when I was younger, I thought that this was incredibly arrogant. Um, like, hi, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Um, but as I have grown up, I have realized that it isn't arrogant speaking. It is John's knowledge of his identity and where his identity comes from. And every time he speaks that over himself, he's reminding himself that God's is the only opinion that matters. He speaks of the transformation that's taken place inside him because of his relationship with God. He's gone from the son of thunder, who I imagine was quite brash and rude, to being loved by God. John's emphasis that we are chosen by God tells us where our identity has to come from. We belong to and are loved by God. Satan would love to disrupt our identity being found in God and instead distract us with the fear that the world dislikes or even hates us. But knowing that I, like John, am a disciple whom Jesus loves, reframes this whole passage for me. It's no longer, gulp, I'm going to be hated if I follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It's, God loves me. And the knowledge of that as my identity allows me to live for him. So that whatever other people think of me doesn't matter. I want to live out of the love and identity that I get from Jesus. Because I then have a peace that can face those moments where I know my beliefs or lifestyles may not be popular. And to still speak my truth with love. To choose Jesus over popularity. But thankfully, we don't have to do it alone. Let's come back to the passage in verse 26 and 27. Jesus says, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. 
Jesus uses two names for the Holy Spirit here, the Advocate and the Spirit of Truth. I find it interesting that one ministers to our hearts and one to our heads. I love that in this challenging, almost unsettling passage, we are promised the advocate. Or the original Greek is paraclete. The Greek word parakletos means someone who is called to come alongside someone else. And the meaning of that word has been translated as advocate, counsellor, consoler or helper. Now, interestingly, the use of uh, paraclete or advocate to describe the Holy Spirit is, is only found five times in the Bible, and John uses it every single time. Four times it comes up in this farewell passage that we're looking at over this term, and then once in the letter of 1 John. Now, the reason that that matters, the reason that that's interesting to me is that John's focus in his writing on the power of God's love and on our identity as his disciples, John perceives that facing the hatred of the world is only possible with the help of the paraclete, the advocate. And so he emphasizes the Holy Spirit's role in that way. It is comfortingly real that God knows I need help, that I cannot face the hatred of the world, which he says will come without the help, encouragement, and strengthening from his spirit ministering to my heart. But John also uses another term, the spirit of truth, which ministers to our heads or our minds. In these verses, Jesus changes the narrative of the whole passage from fear to hope. The spirit of truth comes to us from the Father, advocating both for the Father and for us, bringing the truth about Jesus to the world. We don't have to stand trial, as it were, alone. The Holy Spirit is like our barrister here, both speaking truth about Jesus and acquitting us of the lies the world tells about us. And in verse 27, he invites us to join in, to give testimony, to speak the truth of what we have seen Jesus do in our lives. So let's draw all this together. We have looked at the way in which God's blueprint for how we live in relationship with him and others is seen by the world as an oppressive, morally questionable rule book which threatens the freedom of the world. And yet despite this, we are called to speak truth and to testify about who Jesus is without fear of the world's response. We can do this by knowing our identity in God, that we are known and loved for who he has made us to be. And we are empowered to do all of it by the advocate, the spirit of truth 
because we cannot do it in our own strength. And Jesus tells us all of this in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 1, so that we won't abandon our faith. I don't know about you, but if something's going to be really hard, I'd rather have warning of it. If I was taking on a new challenge and someone said to me, oh, it's really easy, and then I found it really hard, I'd probably give up. I'd think, oh, this isn't for me. I'm finding it too hard. But Jesus prioritizes this conversation, this warning, as part of his final discourse, his final conversation with his disciples. Because that very night, the proverbial poo was going to hit the fan. That very night, Peter would be asked if he knew Jesus and would betray him. And 24 hours later, the disciples would be in hiding out of fear in the upper room, afraid and disillusioned. Jesus knows that living as his followers is not easy. And so he is telling his disciples and us in a very real way that it's about to get hard. But it comes with the comforting knowledge that we have an advocate who strengthens, encourages, and helps us, and who speaks God's truth to the world. We are going to move into a time to respond to God's word this morning. And I think that there are three particular groups that God may be inviting specifically to respond today. For some of us, the battle begins with knowing that what God says about me, about us, is enough. Maybe we need to start telling ourselves, I am the disciple who Jesus loves. To find our worth in him and him alone. So that, so that we have boldness to speak God's truth to the world. And so for some of us, maybe that's our response this morning, coming to God again, saying, let my identity be found in you. Show me that I am the disciple who you love. For others, we are so aware that we need a continual refilling of the Holy Spirit to empower us to speak boldly. And we need a fresh refilling this morning, a fresh awareness that the Father is sending us his Spirit. And thirdly, I am also aware that there may be some people here who are all too aware that they are hated by the world or perhaps by specific people for following God. And it really hurts. This morning, the Holy Spirit wants to comfort and counsel you, to strengthen you to endure the world. And if this is you, please do not leave without praying for someone today. And I am also so aware in this passage, speaking on this topic, of the persecuted church around the world. 
let's pray for strength and the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit for his church to thrive even in persecution. We're going to move into a time of worship now and take communion together. And